Welcome to the Nonfiction Podcast. I'm Deborah Campbell. I'm a professor of nonfiction, creative nonfiction in the writing department. And I sometimes describe myself as a literary journalist. David? Hi, I'm David Leach, professor of creative nonfiction as well here at uh, UVic, a former City Life editor at Monday Magazine, former magazine uh, managing editor at Explore Magazine. I'm still not 100% comfortable describing myself as a literary journalist. I don't know why. But you are one, David. Well, I aspire to be, I suppose, but it's, we, we talked a little bit about creative nonfiction and how it's kind of a bad term for a wonderful genre. And I still wonder if literary journalism is, is also one of those hothouse words that just can't survive really outside of the, the uh, glass walls or the ivory towers of the university, because I hear it more within university context and, and never really kind of talked about it that way. Uh, when I was out doing, uh, I suppose, literary journalism. I always thought about it as I'm, I'm a magazine writer or I'm going to write a profile or I'm going to do a travel story or a humor article or maybe an investigative uh, news article or an adventure article, but, but never really kind of literary journalism. And that might be because I, I'm not trained as a journalist, so uh, I'm not entirely comfortable talking my, about myself uh, as a journalist. I mean, I've worked with people who are like dedicated, kind of uh, story-breaking, risk-taking, fact-chasing, uh, fact uh, true uh, reporters. Uh, and I guess I've done a little bit of that. Uh, and then the literary part, that just really feels like something that somebody else should apply to your writing. Yeah, you've done that. And that feels like literary. That, that kind of is as good as a good piece of uh, fiction. But, but maybe that's wrong. Do you think of yourself as a literary journalist, Deborah? Well, you know, I was being a little tentative when I introduced myself because you're right. I mean, being told that your writing is literary, what they're saying is that the kind of journalism you're writing is a form of art. And art is something that <clears throat> we identify very subjectively. Um, there's good art, there's bad art. Um, there's probably a lot more bad than good. And so if someone's going to say that your writing is at a literary standard, then they're making a value judgment. So it's understandable that we'd be a little hesitant. I guess where I do see the value in the term though, um, especially as we might not be doing it for a magazine, we might be doing it for a book, for example. So then we're not magazine writing. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, where I see it as useful is to try and distinguish a little bit from what most people think of when they say journalist. So I've, I've described myself as a journalist before, but I realize that I'm definitely not one of those, as you say, chasing the hot lead, uh, running to the, well, often, I'll be honest, a lot of journalism these days is going to the press conference and writing down what happens there um, uh, and isn't necessarily um, going and finding out new things. But it does tend to be uh, the story of the day. I mean, journalists 
this idea that you hear a lot in the journalism school and, and how a lot of the, the stuff that you read on, on news sites and in the newspaper is that inverted pyramid, that who, what, when, where, all the important stuff in the first lines, should the reader, you or I, become bored, we don't have to keep following it, but we kind of get the gist and then we can walk away. Yeah, Whereas yeah. a piece of literary journalism, I mean, um, uh, that's a that's a story. H how do you see it, David? Well, yeah, I think I, I think I can always react it against that that inverted uh, pyramid. And, and my understanding is it is it's just a, like a historical uh, artifact that that originally based on on having to send stories over the telegraph that that might cut out at the end. So get that important information, and then when those stories are being kind of laid out and led type, and in the uh, um, typesetters needed to kind of change things around, you could just kind of chop off a paragraph or a two two from the bottom and not lose anything. So from a storyteller's perspective, like from a poet's perspective or, or a novelist's perspective, you can't just cut the last paragraph. Or page of a story and expect it uh, to stand. So yeah, that that is the way uh, I see it. That there's a kind of greater emphasis, as you said, on story, on narrative, and and narrative has kind of delays. It's got like uh, atmospheric leads. It's got more room for uh, characterization. It's it's got a kind of rising and falling uh, drama. It's got this kind of conflict uh, that builds. But there's also more room for kind of voice and style. And and again, that's another, I think, historical artifact of especially 20th century journalism, because early journalism was filled with style and voice and people fighting back and forth and the yellow press taking different... And, and not necessarily uh, worrying about the facts very much. Not either. worrying about the facts at all in some cases. The interesting kind of facts in a neutral tone is very much an artifact of, of early 20th century uh, uh, journalism. I mean, Stephen Ward's a kind of wonderful book about objectivity in journalism kind of makes uh, that clear and that in fact it was largely a business decision as well you could reach a wider readership if you weren't offending half of them if you were kind of writing in a simplified style that just got those uh, facts across but the, the writing I really uh, loved kind of growing up uh, reading magazines and then reading um, literary journalism and things like uh, Harper's Magazine and later uh, Outside uh, Magazine was this kind of mix of really compelling uh, stories where there, where there was a journey that the author had taken or an investigation and recreation of, of somebody else's story but told in this very memorable style that at times allowed the, the author to intrude which was a complete no-no uh, in traditional forms of 20th century journalism, which you had to kind of do backflips to never use the first uh, person pronoun. Uh, they'll, they'll say someone told a reporter exactly. <laughs> and of course we know who the reporter is right yeah. they're in the byline yeah yeah and and those those a section or those sort of newspaper articles the reason that we read them is generally because uh something happened yesterday or it's building on some large political story that um, could have bearing on our life. So that's the stake. That's yeah, the stake that, that is built in for the reader who wants to know what happened in their city or in their hometown or in their country. Um, but the kind of stakes you're talking about in a Harper's article or an outside article 
is um, maybe uh, different. Like, I wonder what is going to happen to that person or how are they going to make it? Um, uh, those different kind of, their storytelling stakes. They may have direct re relevance to the reader's life, but they may just be a, a really great, great story. Yeah, and what I, I'm kind of curious to hear your perspective. In this case, just like in, in fiction, you're not guaranteed of a reader's attention. It's not like, okay, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to read the front page news uh, news articles because I know these are the most important things I need, to, I need to know today, according to the editor, or I'm going to read the business news, or I'm going to read the sports section because I want to be up to date with this. Instead, with uh, literary journalism or narrative nonfiction, it's going to make you want to stay. I mean, they're often kind of longer and they've got to draw you in, just like a, a fiction story. How do they do that? Or how do you do that as as a literary journalist? I think about it a lot as a writer, that's for sure. I mean, I feel like people's attention span, if anything, is shrinking by the minute and uh, down to the size of a tweet very often. So you really don't have a lot of time. I love these languorous, uh, old-fashioned uh, literary... I'm afraid our modern attention span is not really there. So I'm thinking when I'm writing about how am I going to grab them? Is it going to be, I like to start, um, if possible, with a scene. I think scenes are one of the building blocks of creative nonfiction generally, and certainly of literary journalism. So I'm looking for something that's going to have an element of surprise or suspense or intrigue that maybe is uh, going to draw them in. So very unlike the, the journalism story, which is going to tell you everything you need to know in the first paragraph. In the first paragraph, I'm thinking about setting up things like uh, the scene that we're in and our characters, the ones we're going to follow through the story. And I'm thinking of setting up stakes. Um, the reader is often asking, well, what's in it for me? Why am I going to spend half an hour or an hour reading this? I've got a busy life. And plus, they're, you know, maybe checking five things on the internet at once. So I'm really thinking maybe is it going to be a splash of humor, a little bit of surprise or a suspense? Uh, and I'm, I'm, really willing to fire on, fire any on any cylinders to to get them to stay to get them invested um so it's very different kind of uh stake setting than that one where you oh you got to follow the business news because you're in the business world and so you're informed that's why you're there uh, yeah absolutely i mean i know uh the, talk value. Yeah, in our last talk, you kind of talked about the new journalism, which was actually kind of the the old term for what we now call uh, literary journalism, and and kind of an author like uh, Tom Wolfe, uh, who I really admired, kind of talked about that that kind of notion of looking for scenes rather than than summary. So overheard conversation rather than these kind of awkwardly embedded direct quotes from uh, interviews. He talked about saturation reporting as well, just kind of spending as much time as humanly possible around your, your subjects so you can observe them and kind of gather all of these kind of environmental and atmospheric uh, detail and, and describe their world. So that sense of immersion that the reader experiences when you kind of fall into a, a, a good book or this world building and, and character creation. And he was also interested in in what he called sort of the, the status details of these little kind of uh, 
uh, elements that that showed where these these people kind of fit within this social class because he was also interested in in his um, literary journalism as kind of a critique and an understanding of the conflicts within a particularly uh, American uh, society and the other author that I always come back to and and uh, in, in fact kind of a genre term that I love but I don't know if anybody else does is the nonfiction novel as a form of, of literary journalism and that's what what Truman Capote uh, described his book in cold blood which was of course uh, published originally as a series of uh, magazine articles which and, and really kind of sparked a, a bit of that kind of literary true uh, crime as a genre in, in which based on just a small news item that he read about a family murdered in Kansas kind of went and did these kind of deep, deep investigation and then recreated from the ground up uh, this family, but also kind of the psychology of the, the two men involved in the murders. And he talked a, a lot about, and I found this really interesting, kind of a horizontal narrative. So you've got that kind of story that that's kind of drawing you along this kind of the, the not so much a who done it or a, a why done it in this case but he also just talked about the vertical narrative these moments in which you can actually stop time and get inside different kind of characters heads to understand them and as a journalist which you're not typically taught is kind of asking like what did you feel or what were you thinking at the time? You're trying to get those other kind of key mm -hmm. facts. But if you ask those questions and, and take that risk of actually inhabiting the consciousness and, and emotional state of these people that you're reporting on, uh, it, it creates this novelistic um, narrative rather than just a, a pure fact-based one and, and truly compelling. I mean, that was an amazing book, an amazingly successful and influential book as well. I, I, one of the things I really love about reading is, is getting psychological insights into characters and the idea that you can do that as a nonfiction writer. And if you're coming at it from straight journalism, it seems sort of strange. How can you find out what a person was thinking at the time or, um, you know, what was preoccupying them? Uh, well, you know, you ask, right? And I always think about those kinds of, <laughs> those when I've done those kinds of interviews, if you read the transcripts, they would be so boring and weird, yeah. you know, because I'm trying to get the details of something that happened in the past. So I'll say things, so, so what time did you wake up? And do you remember what the weather was like outside? And what were you wearing? What did you have for breakfast? Exactly. Was there anything on the radio? Um, and what did you think when you saw that? And if you read the transcript, you're gonna go out of your mind because it's, it takes forever to gather those details. But then when you read it, as just as you say, it, it reads like a novel. So you're, you're using the term nonfiction novel, I think, to say a little bit like what we mean with literary journalism, right? It reads, it, it, it's a great read. I mean, I think that's what we're trying to say with literary journalism. It's a great read. It's got a beginning, middle and end. Um, it, you know, it borrows all those techniques we talk about and borrowing in, in other genres of creative nonfiction, subgenres of creative nonfiction, like uh, dialogue, scene setting, characters, details. Never when I read an article do they tell me uh, what someone looked like anymore, or they just put a picture and let yeah. that stand. Let that stand in. And um, I was recently rereading um, 
uh, Carmen Aguirre's uh, it's, it's memoir, Something Fierce, Memoirs of a Revolutionary Daughter. It's a kind of both literary journalism and, and a personal account of, of her really interesting early life as a Canadian uh, immigrant who then went back with her mother to become a revolutionary in South America. And in the very first paragraph, she gives you all of these details that just uh, throw you into a scene. I'll just read you a couple of lines here and you can just see all the, the details. She says, as my mother bit into her Big Mac, her glasses caught the reflection of a purple neon light somewhere behind me. Barry White's Love's Theme, my favorite song, blasted from the loudspeaker. Mammy looked hilarious in her new aqua eyeshadow. Her plucked eyebrows gave her a surprised expression. Then her frosted lipstick, which was smeared across her chin now, and the unfamiliar scent of Charlie, a perfume I'd helped her choose. The picture on the box showed Charlie's angels doing the splits in midair, wearing a white pantsuit and flat platform shoes. In dressing for our trip that morning, my mother had followed her lead, although not the splits part because she was four foot 10 and round. Now here we were in the, in the food court at LAX. She and my sister and I had walked for ages through the terminal looking for our gate. The whole time she rubbed the palms of her hands and the small of her back muttering, firing squad to the woman hater who invented heels and they're on their way undercover into into Latin America and I just love how she's you know these are not the kinds of things you read about in a newspaper article these are building a world building that's going on here absolutely yeah just wonderful kind of very vivid specific concrete details that aren't uh, that also reveal uh, character uh, as well. I mean, you mentioned we were talking before um, uh, literary journalist John Krakauer, who is one of my all-time uh, favorites because he's such a great storyteller, uh, um, but he's also a very rigorous uh, reporter uh, as as well. Uh, and his book uh, Into the Wild, in which uh, is is such a wonderful kind of story again, based on a magazine article about Chris McCandless, young young university age. Uh, young man who goes off to uh, Alaska with his Datsun 210 and uh, heads off to, to live off the land and dies out there. But he writes it in such a way that it's kind of morally um, ambivalent, ambiguous. You can, uh, I, I've used it in classes and it completely divides students, students who are completely sympathetic to Chris and his kind of his dream of escaping kind of the, the soul crushing world of corporate America and people who are just so angry at the anguish that he caused for his parents and what he put other uh, people uh, through. But there's a really interesting kind of moment that again throws uh, readers off in which Krakauer, who up to then has kind of written it as a nonfiction novel in which it's it's just a dramatically recreated tale of this young man who's dead, who's, who's died uh, his life, kind of interrupts it all and writes an entire chapter uh, from his own first person perspective about how he at the same age nearly kind of died on an alpine trip. And it kind of breaks a lot of those uh, rules um, of, of traditional journalism, which you're supposed to keep the, the first person plural out of it. It's, it's just uh, writing about uh, other people and even kind of breaks the rules that, that Truman Capote said, like, well, whenever you bring the, the first person in, it 
just kind of takes uh, over the story. What's your kind of feeling and, and take on that about that kind of authorial intrusion about the the, the uh, journalists themselves uh, entering the story and becoming part of the story because there's literary journalism mm. that doesn't do that at all and then there's there's other forms like gonzo journalism and and uh, uh, immersion journalism where it's often all about the author or, or their experiences yeah I, 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 I am a fan of both kinds mm -hmm. and I, I I like to think about what I see as the only rule of good writing and that is does it work does it work it, does it work if you are in it I think um, there's a tendency especially with new writers to put themselves into everything because they were there so if they went to interview someone they obviously need to be there uh, and the the question is do they i mean is there an argument for it i think the argument with the uh, krakauer the reason that he needed to be there was to show his attachment to the story and to show maybe to show that chris mccandless isn't the only one who has these dreams maybe to show that um uh, it's sort of a shared a shared narrative um, so I, I always think about when i'm when i'm i've often been in my in my writing, uh, I would say more like the eye, as in E-Y-E, as -E, the, the yes. camera lens eye, um, where, okay, it's important for me to be here because I am part of a scene and it actually has to do with me. Um, and I don't want it that awkward, you know, the reporter asked or the reporter was asked, you know, that, that sort of fake thing that they'll do in, um, in uh, quote unquote objective newspaper reporting. Um, but at the same time, it's not about me. So I don't have my personal life on the page. I'm only there when it's essential for the narrative or for the, to pull the reader into the story. And then I'm always asking myself that, how much of me belongs here? Um, am I being self-indulgent or say is it too much information? Um, because at least when you're thinking about Krakauer, for example, it's very much related to the subject that he's writing about. He's not maybe putting in some anecdote from his marriage or something like that. It's very pointed. So I, I always suggest to, to writers who are considering where, whether to put themselves in to think of what their argument is for it. If there's a good argument for it, if they too have experienced something that they're writing about, or if there's part of their history that's important, or are they just that camera lens eye that they need to be there so that the reading isn't awkward, but maybe we don't need to know all about their personal life, for example. We do create ourselves as characters as well as, um, you know, the narrative. How do you see it, David? That's a really interesting question. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're absolutely right that you have to ask yourself what- You've, you've been in your own work too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from the very first go, I think my first uh, major feature article, I think the boxing feature, which we talked about as, as well, I kind of inserted myself just briefly in, in kind of certain situations, almost like reaction shots rather than being a uh, main character. In my first book, there's like literally uh, maybe two paragraphs 
out of um, 280 pages, oddly enough, in which I appear just to describe what the experience of flipping in a kayak is actually like, having done it once myself. Uh, and then, yeah, in Chasing Utopia, there was this kind of tension between how much to include of myself uh, and how much to a report of uh, other people. And it was, it, in fact, that one I had to be pushed to kind of add more of myself. Um, I'm completely uh, kind of comfortable with it for the most part, recognizing that sometimes it can be self-indulgent. Where it gets, I think, a little bit fuzzier is is these more extreme forms of uh, immersion journalism where the author is not just kind of describe like uh, acknowledging that there is journalism there but actually kind of going out there sometimes even uh, uh, undercover to kind of report from the inside of these uh, different worlds and then kind of uh, come out and write the story there's a, there's a lot of truly amazing uh, work I think of all of the work that Ted uh, Conover has done and especially um, what is it, New Jack, in which uh, he wanted to report on like the prison systems in New York State and around America that were kind of rapidly expanding, uh, but nobody would allow him access. So he just kind of... David, you, you cut out quite a bit there. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, Ted Conover's New Jack, in which he embedded himself um, undercover as, as um, a prison guard in a correctional uh, institute to, to write about it on the sly or uh, Nora Vincent's self-made man in which she kind of uh, um, concealed her, her gender identity and went into these very male worlds, like a strip club and a monastery and uh, different men's groups to kind of find out what men talk about when, when women aren't around. I mean, these are very kind of um, interesting forms of uh, extreme immersion journalism that go far beyond like the traditional uh, ethics uh, and raise kind of interesting troubling questions uh, about yeah, your responsibility and and uh, can you truly tell somebody else's story uh, from, from the inside. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, well, again, I, I think um, uh, uh, I, I rather like interesting ethical questions um, and they're going inside a situation is one interesting way to explore it. One of my favorite uh, genres of literary journalism, subgenres, mental um, uh, book or article, for example, um, the guy who's, spent a year living biblically by trying to follow every uh, every rule in the Bible, which AJ, believe AJ me, Jacobs, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it could drive a person around the bend and drive, <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. He, he, he does a lot of these self-experiments and then writes mm. about them. So he's a character, but he's following uh, somebody else's playbook in a sense. Um, or I think about uh, J.B. McKinnon and Elisa Smith's 100 Mile Diet, where they spent a year living on food within 100 miles of their apartment in Vancouver. And um, by the way, they lost a lot of weight at the very beginning of that because it was actually pretty hard to get hold of wheat for bread, for example. Uh, they were pretty happy when they found some wheat growing on Vancouver Island and could you know gain back a few pounds. But um, the, this kind of idea of, of self-experimentation is one of my favorite forms of, of literary journalism. So yes, you're in the picture, but you're in the picture in a sense to try on some uh, big or interesting ideas. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess you're also kind of, re- you're still reporting, but you're almost reporting from the inside out as well. It's mm-hmm. not just kind of asking other people for the factual details, but the, it's kind of like deep physical descriptions of what these experiences or environments are are alike and acknowledging that that is part of, of uh, the reality too. Yes, A Hundred Mile mm-hmm. Diet is such a, such a uh, wonderful uh, book that way. And it has that compelling up and down of, of, uh, the narratives. I mean, it's interesting in, in many ways, like the term creative nonfiction, literary journalism has, has, is, is a rather big umbrella with all of these uh, other kind of subgenres and different styles and, and uh, uh, approaches uh, in it. So again, it's kind of a multi-hued palette that, that uh, writers uh, can, can choose from. Yeah, and it can be, it can include memoir, it can include Uh, obviously biography. It includes a lot of those people in paper things we talked about in our conversation on the writing process. So reading a bunch of stuff, talking to a bunch of people, going places, people, people, paper place. Um, And, uh, and then it can involve voice very similarly to any kind of lyric essay or any kind of creative nonfiction. So I think, David, although we've answered a little bit about what literary journalism is, we've also shown that it's a pretty big tent itself. Yeah, and that it's it's constantly uh, evolving. And I mean, you kind of think of the world that we live in now. It's absolutely a place in which we we kind of need people to kind of go out and and kind of report back what the facts are, but also uh, describe what the the experience of the world around us is like and and why it truly matters in in a way that only a, a kind of good story can do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, well thank that, you, David. And I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, and I look forward to, to I don't know, maybe a post-vaccine world in which we can kind of go out and, and travel a bit more and, and do our literary uh, journalism as well. So uh, take care, stay safe. and we'll Yes, and not, not always socially distance at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. Take care. <laughs> All right, thanks.